Welcome to episode 6 of season 3 of the Shoulda Backed It podcast. On a perfect Flemington track, trainer Chris Waller won his fourth straight Turnbull Stakes with star mare Very Elegant, seeing off Toffee Tongue and the ever-consistent Finch. Persan continued his remarkable run towards the first Tuesday in November, securing a spot in this year's Cup with a stylish win in the Bart Cummings. Meanwhile at Randwick, not for the first time we saw Probabil and Funstar fight out a spring feature, with Probabil going on to win the Epson. Joining me to talk through a massive Saturday of Group 1s is the Herald Sun's number one tipster, Chris Venuccio. Mate, the big V multi has got up three weeks on the trot. Your Twitter followers must be uh, skyrocketing at the moment, mate. Hello, Phil. Yeah, it's been a good couple of weeks. I can't complain, you know, backing a few winners and getting involved in the right races. And I think the, the challenge now is just to keep doing what I'm doing because when you start getting on a bit of a roll, you know, there's a tendency where you might want to try and take a few more risks and, you know, have a bet in races you might not have considered. So I think that's going to be my challenge this weekend, just keep doing what I'm doing, pick the right races and not take any great risks. Well, mate, uh, we both had September run at uh, Flemington in the second there down the straight and it was in both of our best bets. Uh, look, that horse looks like it's above average, mate. It's uh, done a very good run there twice now in a row now. Yeah, it was a big performance. I wasn't expecting it to win with that authority. Well, I managed to get a good price on the Thursday. I think I got 350 And I had a, a smaller bet than what I wanted. I wanted to wait and see if and when I got my ratings on the Friday just how well it rated ahead of the rest of the field. Because I still thought there was a... It was a decent, there was decent opposition, you know, Valaquenta and I think Minaj as well. And so there was a few horses there, but by the time I got those ratings on Friday, she was already into 280, 260. So I thought I'll just leave it with what I've got. But over the past couple of weeks, there's been a few winners that I've missed as well because, you know, there's been races where I've liked certain horses but weren't bullish about them in those races. So you take what you can, and and this weekend just find some more winners. I'll tell you what, mate. Three fifty is much better than what I picked up. I I waited till the day. I thought I might get a decent price, and it it came right into two ten to a point where I thought, you know what, it's probably not quite worth backing at that price. But it did drift out late, and it started about two fifty, which I jumped on. So yeah, it's got a decent price, but yeah, I'm very disappointed. I missed out on the better odds. Yeah, it was a um, yeah very. I was surprised how short it got into, but I thought it was a great ride by Craig Williams. The only time I was a little bit nervous was in the first 100-200. I thought if he decides to stay inside of Valaquenta, he might get find some traffic coming down the middle of the track. But once he pulled out to the outside of Valaquenta, that was probably the most comfortable I've been in the last couple of weeks backing a horse. He, he looked like he, she was going to win a long way out. Well, it's funny that... That uh, sequence of events mirrored a race that I had my second best bet of the day in with Tefane a couple of races later, and it just couldn't get out. was in a similar position to September run early early in the piece, but just didn't have that opportunity to come off heels or find a run, and I suspect something similar might have happened uh, if Craig Williams hadn't done that with, with September run. So, yep, you can sometimes get it to work for you, mate, and other times it doesn't quite deliver. Yeah, I thought Tefane was probably the unlucky runner of the day and probably should have won that race. 
yeah, we'll never know, mate. Often don't, but yeah, the gas just never came. And when they kind of did towards the end, the race had been run. But we might jump in straight into some of the bigger races of the day, and we can do that through our Should Have Backed It segment. So my Should Have Backed It for the weekend, and I think probably for you and others as well, might have been Probabil and the Epson. Look, I've been on it its first two starts of the campaign, including when it started $18 first up. So there was really no reason for me to jump off, you know. We, it had come down in weights. It looked really primed third up for that run, and it really ended up proving that to be right. But I guess from my perspective, I couldn't really look past Star of the Seas. I just Its first two runs had been so competitive and probably should have snuck a group one in, 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 in those performances, but ended up sticking with it. And unfortunately, mate, probably all got the job done. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I jumped off probability as well because it, it drew wide. And I know barriers aren't the be-all and end-all, but I thought from a wide barrier, she's probably, probably going to get back into the get back in the field. But McAvoy decided to go forward and, and track Funstar in the run. And if you run that race 10 times, I think the two mares run one-two. I just, the rest of the field, I don't think there was any hard luck stories in that field. I think probably Funstar... They were the the two best horses in that race, and there's no excuses for the rest. Yeah, I think uh, I know you don't really rate horse weight in terms of when you're doing your tipping or your gambling, Big V. But I think what the less weight did for Probability was allow it to be more forward in its run and, and and go a bit more aggressive early to get itself into a position. It does have a tendency to settle a little bit further back in its races, but being in that positive position, as we've seen in Australian racing more generally, can be such an advantage for a horse. And we really did see that with Probability and Funstar sort of being in a position where they didn't have to go through horses, around horses, just able to, to burst clear when they needed to. And I just think the other point on those two horses is where they're going to go to next. I read that Probabil's going to the Cox Plate, which might be a good option. I thought she might have gone to the Golden Eagle. Sunstar might go to the Golden Eagle, but I don't know why she shouldn't be running in Melbourne for a race like the Empire Rose, a Group 1, 1600. The Golden Eagle's not a Group 1 race. I know, although it's worth $7.5 million, but I think she needs another Group 1 to her name. And I just think a race like the Empire Rose, which is the old Maya Classic, I think the Melbourne mares aren't that strong. And I think that's a, a perfect race for her. Yeah, it's often these, these two... Uh... Two horses often have similar campaigns, and we we've seen in the past where they've tried to avoid each other, so they don't don't run into each other and can can win the races that they go into. So it will be interesting to see whether they they do put them on a similar path or or diverge, so that they can both have a crack at at the victory. But I guess Big V, the uh, might be a nice little segue that race into your should have sacked it for the weekend. So we'll jump straight to that because it was star of the season. I mentioned that it was my on top horse too, and. I'm wondering why you thought it might have been the one to, to beat and, and what you thought of the performance more generally. I expected a better performance from Star of the Seas and Barrier 1 was always going to be a risk in these big fields and and I did see Nash, there wasn't a run for Nash on the rail so he tried to find a gap on his outside. Didn't really come until late but I don't think the horse was going good enough and yeah, I think I should have, um, if I had a overlook barrier one then maybe I might have jumped on probable so I think you know inside barriers sometimes aren't 
better than wider barriers, and we saw that in this case. And, yeah, just disappointed by the performance. I expected a lot better. Uh, it wasn't to be. Yeah, and I think you're right. Sometimes in these big fields, being in a... In a inside barrier can be actually quite detrimental for horses that need to get out and get a bit of running. We saw it get held up, but I think you're right too. When it did get out, I expected it to really burst and and be competitive in the race, but it just sort of didn't quite, you know, live up to that expectation, I suppose, and was beaten quite soundly in the end. I guess not a disappointing sort of campaign so far for the horse, but will be interesting to see if there's any wash up from that particular run. Now, one horse that you uh, wish you had been on, and we, we've already touched on the race uh, sh- uh, earlier with Tefane, was Zutori uh, with Jamie Carr on board there, which uh, took out the Gill guy at uh, Flemington. Yeah, and the reason I picked Zutori is, again, another example of a horse meeting his opposition worse at the weights and still winning. So when he won the Bobby Lewis the start before, he carried 56 kilos. Tefane had 58 kilos. And so this time around, Zutori had 59 and Tefani stayed at the 58. So it was a three-kilo swing and Zutori still won. Although we mentioned earlier that Tefani did have a bit of traffic, probably should have won. But Zutori, he made his own luck, particularly with Jamie Carr. And I think he got a great price, 550. And I was on Tefani and I probably should have given Zutori a bit more merit. I think I might have had Santa and Elaine as my second pick. And, you know, maybe I didn't respect Zutori like I should have. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. And I think there's a a common view with Zutori that its first up run's always its best run. So a a few were happy to risk it knowing that it had gone and done what we expected it to do first up and perhaps it would just um, even off, I guess, in its second run. But then it it went to another level again, I thought, uh, on the weekend. And yeah, I think there's also a view that that horse isn't quite up to the best echelon of sprinters in the country. So you had your Tefanes, you had your Santa Ana Lanes in that race. So I think once you had that sort of quality who was ready to go and take on Zutori, I think there was a view that it wouldn't quite be up to that standard. But I guess a lot of punters were proved wrong in the end with a, a very impressive performance. And you see that with the odds as well. Because of that weight swing, Zutori is $5.00. I think opening price, and you, you get five fifty on the day. And you look at Tefani, and that horse was two twenty pretty much all week until Saturday, where it did get out to three thirty. But you're getting that big gap in the prices. Where whereas the start before, Tefani pays four twenty to four sixty. Sorry, Zatori was about four twenty to four sixty, and Tefani was you know four twenty out to five dollars. So it wasn't much difference in their prices in the Bobby Lewis, but come the Gill guy, you're getting a gap of two points between them. Mm. Well, my should have sacked it for the weekend, uh, Big V, was actually in a race we've already mentioned with Persan's big win there in the Bart Cummings, and I, I jumped on Shared Ambition, which I immediately regretted the, the moment that the barriers broke. I, I, I should have stayed out of this one, to be honest, mate. For me, nothing really stood out in the race. I didn't think it was a premium version of the, of the Bart Cummings, to be honest. And at the end of the day, I just went with who I thought might have been the best horse, and I guess I was wrong. Um, <laughs> I should have just stayed out. Shared Ambition wasn't the best horse in that race, and to be honest, gave nothing from what I saw. It was you know settled back, and I expected it to run on, but really didn't do anything, and I was pretty unimpressed, to be honest. Yeah, I 
didn't have shared ambition on top. I had Steel Prince, and that was a good run. But yeah, I thought shared ambition had its chance to start before in the Kingston Town. So I was a little surprised it was an open favourite. But I suppose it's the Chris Waller factor, and and also the fact that it was scratched from the Metropolitan to run down in Melbourne. Yeah, I just um, yeah, I think I think that goes with um, along with Canaan as an overrated Waller horse that's come down to Melbourne this prep. Yeah, definitely overrated, and I'll be steering well clear of shared ambition moving forward. Now, mate, we've already talked about the Gilgai and the really impressive performance by Zutori and perhaps the unlucky efforts of Tefane behind. Uh, now, in terms of the Everest, we also had the Premier Stakes up there in, in, in Randwick, and, gee, uh, Nature Strip didn't quite live up to what we were expecting, and I suspect when we do our our top seeded seed for the Everest a little bit later, Big V, that might have shifted for you uh, after that run. But we did see a, an amazingly good run from Libertini, who just flew past the field and won convincingly. And I thought a really respectable and, and, and top performance from Classique Legend as well, who came in there second. Yeah, Classique Legend was a big run, you know, three wide into the breeze. And... He's a horse that will go well in the Everest. I'll, I'll have him in the top three somewhere. With Libertini, I mean, she's a horse that has talent. We know that she didn't have a great autumn campaign. She only had two runs and she was beaten first up at a dollar eighty. And I was on her that day. I wasn't on her at a dollar eighty. I think I might have got two eighty as a very early price from her or something like that. And she was crunched and she's beaten three lengths by Flit and Liar. I wonder how much he beat those two horses now <laughs> in the form that she showed on the weekend. And and then in the new market, she was beaten 10 lengths. So I don't think something definitely wasn't right with her during her autumn campaign. And she's come back with a big performance and that was a massive run. And I suppose she had to do that if she's going to get an Everest slot. It's just whether she can back that up now. Well, yeah, well, uh, listeners of, the, of this Shoulda Back the Podcast will know that we've both been big Santa and Elaine fans, but I can tell you that my new horse crush is on Classique Legend. I think it looks to be the horse to beat now in the, in the in the Everest after a couple of really startling performances coming back, as you mentioned, three wide, facing the strong breeze that was there in Sydney and still managing to, to go past horses like Nature Strip and, and hold on really well. So... Actually, I might touch back on Nature Strip. What did you make of its performance? I understand there was some uh, uh, issues post-race as well with that horse. Yeah, the horse has pulled up with mucus, so that is an excuse for his performance. But I just think so much is going wrong for the horse at the moment. You, you could not back him with any confidence in the Everest. He can still win the race, but he's having issues jumping out of the barriers. And then you got this setback now, and it's two weeks until the Everest. So is that going to impact the horse during its track work over the next two weeks. I mean, you're the you're more of an expert on that as a trainer yourself, Phil. But, um, <laughs> I hardly call myself I, a trainer. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, I, I, I've gone off Nature Strip now because of, you know, all those factors that have gone against him. With Classic Legend, I wouldn't detract from him not winning the race because... That would have been a, a, a good tune-up for the Everest. So, yeah, don't let the fact that he did not win that race 
put you off heading into the Everest because he didn't have to come out there and put in a big peak effort like Libertini had to. That was a good run heading into its grand final. Yeah, and I think if you are a Nature Strip fan, I wouldn't be jumping off completely. I think if you're going to get 7 or $8 about a horse that perhaps a week or two ago you were going to get 2 or $3 about for that Everest, and you do have trust in the horse, I mean, it has come out and absolutely burnt the, this field in previous starts. And, you know, if anyone's going to make the horse perform at its peak on Everest Day, it will be Chris Waller. So I think if you're getting 7 or $8 about that horse and you, you're willing to take a little bit of a risk that it's, it's not quite right, I think that's actually really good odds, uh, particularly given what you were getting previously. So I wouldn't be detracting anyone from not sticking with Nature Strip. I'd be watching very closely, though, to make sure that the horse was absolutely ready to go on that on that Everest day because there are some real challenges there now. Most likely your classic legends, but also, as we saw, first up, Guitra as well. Going back to Santorana Lane, because your former favourite horse, I did send you a text message during the week saying that I was a bit surprised that Coolmore decided to sign up Santorana Lane for their slot in the Everest without seeing him perform in the Gilgai. And I just thought a horse of his age, he's eight years old, the last couple of preps, he's really declined in his campaign when he gets to his third and fourth run. I was surprised these slot holders didn't wait to see him run first in the Gilgai before committing. Yeah, and look, I don't think there's anything that they would have seen in the Gilgai that they didn't already know as slot holders. We know that Santa Ana Lane is not going to be a first-up winning horse. It just doesn't win first up. So they would have just wanted to see that it ran on well, and I think they would have given it a pass mark for that particular race. Whether or not second up, it's still got the ability, you know, at that really top level. I know Everest isn't a Group 1, but it's a Group 1 field to, to really, you know, tackle with the best. Probably not anymore. But in terms of, I think you've mentioned a few times in this podcast, Big V, that the, the field of sprinters that we've actually got that can go into this race has actually diminished significantly over the last 6 to 12 months. So as Coolmore, they'd obviously want some kind of connection with Coolmore as part of their slot holding. And I know that Fastnet Rock uh, is associated, obviously, there with um, Santa Ana Lane, and that's the connection. So perhaps they were quite limited in who they could actually choose and knowing that you've got a, 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 a horse that can perform at the level, you know, ran second in the race last year, they, they, they went with that decision. And I don't think they would be regretting it quite yet. Yeah, well, I just thought, eight years old, I know he's a horse that is better second up, but usually when you see his first up runs, you see something in him that where you say, yeah, he's ready to go next start. I didn't see that on Saturday. I, I know that he was running on, but I don't think... I don't think he's performed as well as he has in the past. And you look at his sectionals, there wasn't much difference between him and the winner as well. So it's not as if he's come storming home. He's run his last um, 200 in 11.9, and that's pretty much the same as Kementari, Kemal Pasa, Zutori. So I, I don't think the Gill guy is going to be at the form line for the Everest. And if I had have missed out on Santa Ana Lane for the for an Everest, Everest slot, I would have just said, all right, so be it, move on to the next horse. And the next horse that was selected was Trekking. And then you wait for the weekend and Libertini comes out. So, yeah, I would have been prepared to wait for Santa Ana Lane, taking that risk that, that, risk that someone else was going to pick him. 
Yeah, look, I think there's a lot, many more factors than just the horse's form that these slot holders do consider, though, Big V. And I think, you know, given it's a cool more slot, they wanted to um, have a connection there, I think, as well. But I, I guess I do take your point. And, look, I mean, Santa Ana Lane ran second in that race last year and had a much more impressive finish than it did this year. So given it wasn't able to win the Everest and it had a much better first start run. Yeah, there are some question marks about whether it can, can get the job done. But, you know, we've had a lot of success with the horse, mate, so we're not going to pot it quite yet. Now, mate, I wanted to talk about the flight stakes. So we expected a, uh, a, a duel there, I guess, between Dame Giselle and Hungry Heart, but we ended up getting a surprise winner, I guess, in the end. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. And, and how often, whenever we go into a race thinking there's going to be a a two-horse race, it doesn't always happen that way. And, and it was a surprise. And I did see on Twitter, obviously, with Hungry Heart getting beat, you know, a lot of references that she's a cat and a non-winner. But I think this race rated pretty highly. And just because Hungry Heart didn't win, I mean, you're taking that risk on a horse that the bookies are always going to offer $2.30, $2.40. If you want to take that risk, then... You know, you go for it. I mean, I, that, she didn't appeal to me at that price, but it doesn't mean that she's not a good horse. And it's just, she'll win a race. I think she should... I mean, I'm surprised they're not coming down for the 1,000 guineas. I don't... She's still in the market, but I haven't seen any confirmation she's going to come down. But if she came down for the 1,000 guineas, she's probably going to be a, a $2.50 favourite again, probably wins. I wouldn't be on her at that price knowing that... She's not a she's not a winner yet, but she's not a she's not a cat. She's a good horse, and if she comes down for the thousand guineas, I would think that she win that race. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was actually a really really good run. Again, the third time in a row, it's finished second, gapping third, and the rest of the field as well. So you know it's a quality horse. Just found one better each time, and. You know, he doesn't know that it's two dollars twenty. I mean, maybe that's that's just as good as it is, and you know, that's still a very high quality horse. But you know, because it's over bet, it isn't its fault. Um, it's just it just starts too short, and I stayed out of that race completely in the end. I, I couldn't split the two favourites, and I thought they both were unders to be honest. So I decided just to watch and, and see how it panned out. And in the end, yeah, Hungry Heart just got nabbed on the line, and Dame Giselle couldn't get out sort of in the straight, but I don't think it quite saw out the 1,600 metres either. No. And there's a bit more speed in that race as well that was expected. And I think the key for Dame Giselle would have been a slowly run 1,600 metre race. And then just going back on Hungry Heart, when you have racing commentators talking up horses and also social media talking up horses as, you know, next start, get on, that's the time to be on this horse. Well, of course, the bookmakers aren't going to offer you much when you get a bit of that spruik on it. So if you want to follow the spruik and, and take horses when they're unders, that's the risk you're going to take. And just uh, a point on Montefilia, likely to back up in the spring champions. You know, I'll be pretty keen to back up, even against Love Tap. I was on Love Tap last night. Oh, that's a bit cold. I'll wait, until I see the, I'll wait until I see the ratings, but I think Montefilia, at the moment, I'm leaning towards her. Well, I want to hear who you're leaning towards in this week's Caulfield Guineas, Big V. We've discussed this race 
a few times this, this season on the podcast and it's finally coming coming to us and it's on Saturday and we've still got Ole Kirk as the $4.40 favourite at the moment. Um, Morunga's actually gone out to $6 after being an early favourite in this race. I'm interested in who you're with uh, at this point of the week. I'm going to stick with Ollie Kirk and Mwunga was favourite last week and I was, I'm disappointed that it's still not favourite because I I think he might be a little bit... I'm not, I won't say he's overrated, but he's coming from the B-grade form and although he was impressive last start, the opposition that he was up against wasn't of the calibre of the Golden Rose. So I'm going to go with Ollie Kirk. I think Glenn Fittick might be overpriced or over the odds at $7. I think his win at the Valley was impressive. That was over 1600 And when you look at their form in the autumn, Ollie Kirk and Glenn Fittick pretty much line up through the same form lines. Yeah, um, look, and looking at the, the odds in the race, obviously we don't have a few of the factors like the barriers at the moment. As I mentioned last week, I'm I think I'm happy to risk Ole Kirk at $4.40. I mean, it's a get-back horse, and you can find a lot of trouble at Caulfield getting inside, getting runs, or having to go very wide around the turn in order to get into the race. So I'm looking at this field at the moment, and I'm seeing horses like Crosshaven, who, you know, he likes to run on pace at $12. Four from five. You know it likes Caulfield. A very impressive winner last start. I think at $12, that's not a bad bet early on. I know it hasn't quite been at the level of some of these other horses, but I think I'm look. I'm going to be looking for a bit more value than Ole Kirk if it does stick around that four dollar price. To be honest, yeah, that's a fair point you make. Well, thanks, Big V. I, I, I just hope Ole Kirk can draw a good barrier and maybe not have to get last or close to the back of the field, but maybe find a, a midfield spot. So, but as you said, it's all about the barriers and and where they can settle in the run. Yeah, absolutely, and as I said, uh, more more will come to hand as, as we know about that later on in the week. But what I did want to talk about, speaking of very short odds, were we had a couple of two-year-old races this week, one in Sydney, one in Melbourne. Well, actually, a couple in Sydney, but not the one we're specifically talking about, but where we had a dollar fifty favourites in two-year-old races. Now, as I've said previously, listeners of the podcast will know that I don't get involved generally in two-year-old racing, particularly early two-year-old racing season. I think there's so many variables with these almost juvenile horses that go around, you know, particularly when they're first starters. But you just don't know what you're going to get often. So I, I like to stay out. But I was intrigued to see that we did have two $1.50 favourites start on the weekend in two-year-old races. One of those horses um, was uh, one was unable to get the job done there at Flemington uh, in the first race. General Bow. And uh, the other was able to get the job done really impressively and I think will be a horse that we can follow moving forward, uh, you know, not just as a two-year-old but, but beyond there in Entar in Sydney. But what do you make of these really short two-year-olds? Well, I was surprised, firstly, at Flemington, General Bow was back from $1.80 to $1.50, so it was back with confidence. And the difference between Sydney and Melbourne is just with the Melbourne two-year-olds, when you go through the form... You don't see the official trial form. It's, there's a lot of jump outs. They're not in the form guide. You've got to go looking everywhere for them. And even when you're looking at the jump outs on YouTube, if you manage to find them, the production quality is so poor, it's hard to make out which horses are running well and which horses are, are not. So for, so for General Bow to be backed $1.80 to $1.50 when you've got 
I think, six other horses in the race that were first starters, I thought that that was a really big risk and it and it really did bite those punters that got involved. Going to Sydney with Entha, I think you could have had more confidence with her because I think with the Sydney trials, their official trials... You can follow them with a lot more confidence because you can. Um, the production value is a lot higher, and although I wouldn't have backed a two-year-old at a dollar fifty, I think I can understand punters having a lot more confidence with her because you can line up the trial form a lot better in Sydney because you can follow it, you can watch it, and yeah, I'll, and I, you know, I can understand why she was a short price. Yeah, look, and, and even if, you know, they did make the trial for, trials in Melbourne in full HD, mate, and we could watch it on the big screen, I still wouldn't be getting involved in these races. Trials, are, uh, as we've discussed previously, I don't take too much out of those. Um, obviously, anyone that backed Enthar would be pretty pretty comfortable throughout the entire race, but at a dollar fifty odds on, I mean, who's getting excited about that anyway unless you can put $100,000 on it, mate, and neither of us can do that. So, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting observation because often with two-year-old races, you do you can get a bit of a price around the favourites, but it was really interesting to see that these two races had $1.50 favourites. And I guess with General Bow, you could, you could argue that it wasn't the worst bet. It did beat the third horse by four and a half lengths, so just beaten by a better one that we didn't perhaps know about there in the market in um ingratiating there you go well didn't even didn't even check what it was called big v but yeah so I, it's just an interesting observation yeah I, I don't think that's what we're going to get involved in but big v now we've, we've got to the part of the podcast everyone's all been waiting for and that's the your seedings for the, the the top four tips in the biggest races this spring which is the everest caulfield cup cox plate and melbourne cup so last week and the week before you had nature strip but i have a feeling you're jumping off Oh yeah, most certainly. After the, the after the run on the weekend, you come back with confidence. Could still win, but I've I, I don't know which one which was the back. I I I was on Classic Legend yesterday, and today I'm leaning towards Geetra because I just think, you know, what's Geetra done wrong? It's done nothing wrong. It beat Nature Strip first up. It's had a nice trial. It's got to be fresh, ready to explode. So I'm leaning towards Geetra, but that could change. I might even decide I'm going to go with Classique Legend. The one point I want to make with the Everest, there's been a lot of talk after Nature Strip got beat that it's just opened up the race. And I think there's a little bit of carry-on with that because although maybe a couple of months ago they might have been running for second behind Nature Strip, it doesn't change the fact that I think the Everest has a long tail. And I, and I think now... The race might be even. I think there's less chances now. I think you can back Classique Legend and Geetra, and they're both each way all day. Libertini's burst onto the scene, but she's got to produce that big performance again, which is very tough to do. I just think now it's it might just be a a racing two. Now Bivouac can be hit and miss. I mean Behemoth. No, I don't think he can beat the other two. And I'm ruling out that Gilgai form. So I think let's not get carried away that this is an open race all of a sudden. Look, I, I take your point, Big V, but I, I also think that these horses are being set for the Everest as their grand final. So you, you can't be just looking at their previous run and saying 
that's it's what they're going to reproduce on Everest Day. So yes, Geetra, 100% agree, should be in the conversation. It's it's shown that it's up to that level and has beaten these horses before. Likewise, Classique Legend. But I, I do think horses like Tefane, I, I can't jump off Nature Strip just on that run. I, I, I think at its best, it still beats this, this field. So I, I wouldn't be taking that out of my considerations at all. So I think there's... Definitely a few extra horses that you haven't probably covered covered their big V that are big shows in the race. I agree that there's probably half a dozen that are basically no chance, but I still think it's there's five or six horses that, that can really shake this race up. Now, in terms of the next race, we wanted to look at the Caulfield Cup. Now, you've been a bit flip-floppy with the Caulfield Cup. You started with Master of Ryan. You moved to Anthony Van Dyke. Is there any other updates there? Or you, I know Anthony Van Dyke has touched down now in Australia and ready to go. Yeah, and because he's touched down, the he's been wound into eight dollars now. I think when I picked it a couple of weeks ago, he was fifteen. So his price has just come in, and and I, there's been a since then. There's been a, a few people wrapping him up. I've I heard Katie Mallion give him a big spruik as well. So, geez, eight dollars is a bit short now. I, I was hoping that you might still get that fifteen dollar price on the day, maybe even you know at worst twelve dollars. So getting a bit short at the moment but i'll i'll stick with him there's no reason to change because you know we haven't seen him run yet but yeah bit yeah. priced bit bit tight in the price now i was interested in the movements of the market after the turnbull on the weekend we saw obviously saw a very elegant win that very impressively but it went straight into seven dollars for the the caulfield cup and, and we know that it will get the distance and it will you know if we do get a little bit of rain even better for very elegant but I thought it was interesting that Master of Wine, who had been uh, the top pick for you previously and a lot of uh, pundits out there, went out to $17 based on that run. And I thought there was a lot of merit in Master of Wine's run. He only finished 0.8 lengths behind, uh, very elegant. I do think they're really setting it for the Caulfield Cup. So I just, I, I, for me, the discrepancy between the prices, and I'll probably have a little bit on both, to be honest, at $7 for very elegant and 17 for Master of Wine is too significant. Now, back to your horse, Anthony Van Dyke. One question I did have for you, Big V, and I guess now that it's landed in Lynn, Australia, I can sort of get your assessment, but how do you determine which of the internationals are the ones you want to focus on in these types of races? Well, that's a, a tough question. I mean, I'm not an expert on the international form. I mean, I, I do try to follow it, but I'm just looking at, you know, you look at his form and he's beaten Stradivarius last start, you know, one of the, the best sprinters in Europe. I think he's beaten Stradivarius twice uh, this year. So you just look, you just, I'm just going by by that aspect of it. It's got to carry a big weight in the Caulfield Cup, but top weights can win the race. The Caulfield Cup is one of those races where a toppy can win or a horse down in the weights can win. But I have to admit, international form is not my strength. Um, but you, you look at what Anthony Van Dyke's done, and on his day, he's a, a pretty good horse. And the only failure he's had recently was at Hong Kong in December last year. But a lot of horses go to Hong Kong and fail, and they come back home and and get back to their their old form. Yeah, and what you can be pretty comfortable about now with these internationals, they've worked out how to do it, haven't they? There was very early on, there was a lot of issues, and they. You know, they weren't run to suit or they weren't... The, the preparation wasn't ideal for the horses, but they've really worked it out now. So yeah. you can have that extra level of confidence, on it, I think, with these internationals and, uh, yeah. moving forward. Because I go back to last Melbourne Cup, 
And I, I just got it wrong with the international form. I just, but the thing is, the horse that I had picked for the Melbourne Cup last year, which was Southern France, didn't perform very well. I think Southern France finished, you know, t- close to last and up forward. But it beat a horse, uh, Master of Reality, in Europe. Master of Reality has nearly won the Melbourne Cup. So it's knowing what stage of a prep they are in Europe and, and which horses can go forward and which horses probably already at their peak. So it's it's not easy if you're not following the European or overseas form as well as what other people might be. Well, speaking of horses at their peak, for the Cox Plate, Big V, you had Russian Camelot. You've stuck you stuck fat. It's coming to $3 now for the Cox Plate, so I can't imagine you're moving on Russian Camelot. No, but I don't want to take a short price on him. I know I don't think the locals can beat him, but you know, I don't these internationals that are coming over and there's a couple of good ones, you know, you know, they're not here to make up the numbers. They're they're going to provide some stiff competition and uh, you, Russian Camelot will probably win again at Caulfield this week. It might be a 280 chance, but I think that's getting pretty tight in the market. Yeah, well, I'm pretty happy with a little uh, futures multi I put on, Master of Wine and the Caulfield Cup into Russian Camelot. Got a much better price about uh, Russian Camelot for that particular event through that multi. Um, but for the Melbourne Cup, you started with Surprise Baby, and I thought it was a really good run on the weekend from Surprise Baby. But you have moved to the International Santiago. Is that still uh, your horse to follow there, or your number one seed? Yeah, I'll just stick with Santiago. Uh, Russian Camel's a favourite now, and I think they're going to go to the Melbourne Cup. So you never know. Russian Camelot, if it comes out and wins a Cox Plate, you know, with authority, could always change. But I'll go. I'll just stay with Santiago for the time being. Just on Surprise Baby, I just, uh, I'm not too sure about him. It's just, he, he was good in the the Turnbull on Saturday. He, he got too far back, got held up for a little bit and was coming home strongly. He's going to go straight to the Melbourne Cup now. So you've got to take him on trust that he's going to be fit for the 3,200. 30, 32 is his best distance. I, I would like to see one more run from him just to make sure everything is coming along nicely so you just got to take surprise baby on a bit of trust yeah and i think i think you can after last year's effort i think you you know you know it's going to run the distance out you know it's been set for that race from from the moment that race was run so look 2000 3200 i thought it looked like a horse that wasn't sprinting um like a in it like it was going to win a 2000 meter race and that's not what you necessarily care about at this point if you are looking towards the Melbourne Cup. So I thought it did everything you would want it to, surprise baby, in that run. But uh, we wanted to move on now, Big V, to our horses to follow. Now, I've pretty much covered mine in the discussion. I think Enthar is an interesting one moving forward as a two-year-old. Uh, probably won't be backing it, but, gee, it's going to go on to do bigger and better things you would have thought after that run. But the other two are Master of Wine for the Caulfield Cup. I don't think it did anything wrong in the Caulfield, uh, in the Turnbull there to suggest it, it couldn't run a, a good Caulfield Cup. And as mentioned previously, Classic Legend, uh, no knock on each run. But are there any horses you're looking to follow out of the meeting? Yeah, there wasn't too many that I saw that I, I thought, yeah, we just got to look at it for next start. I mean, I mean, the obvious is September run. That's going to go to the Coolmore. Depends on how strong the Coolmore is this year. But that was a... Surprisingly, I saw some of the ratings for her and 
it was uh, surprisingly very high. So she's not without a chance. I think Montefilia, if she backs up into the spring champions, she's a big chance. And in the last race at Randwick, I was on the winner, a theory, but I thought Hilo, the stable mate, was running home strongly and could be ready to win next start. Drew wide, had to get back in the field. You know, if, if he can draw a nice gate, he could be one we can make some decent money off next start. Yeah, a couple of good ones there, Big V. And uh, it's it's the right time of year to be following your, your key horses because uh, it, it's getting more challenging to pick some of these Group 1 winners and, and, you know, sort of work through the form line. So if you, you do like a horse, I, I'd, I think stick with it at the moment. Now, uh, we just wanted to finish up on a little bit of a sports betting discussion, Big V. I guess it was a good weekend for us, both with our AFL teams and also our EPL teams. Firstly, the Brisbane Lions booked their place in a, in a prelim after a really gutsy win against Richmond. And the Pies, you know, one-point winner against West Coast over there at Optus Stadium, which was uh, really one of the better better finals I've seen from a Collingwood team and you know what we've had a couple of really good wins in finals too so it's it's a pretty big statement but yeah did you have any money on the pies? did I? no I made uh, too emotional to to get on the pies uh, in a final like that I just just was sitting there hoping that we would win and, and we did manage to do that but it was interesting one of our listeners wrote in to me and said one of our regular listeners, uh, Ben there out in Preston, and he, he wanted to talk us to talk a little bit about live betting. So we'll just talk on it very quickly. He mentioned that the pies were $5 in the final quarter, live betting. And it was at a point where Josh Kennedy had a shot from the boundary. And I think that at the time, West Coast might have been four points up. And he ended up missing that kick, Josh Kennedy, and Collingwood came into $4 straight after that kick. But... Uh, Ben's comment was that that price seemed crazy given the scoreline. You know, there was less than a goal in it. Anyone watching that game could sense that Collingwood were really in it, but really dominating general play, I thought. Um, West Coast obviously were able to score a lot of its goals through their centre clearances, and I think five of their nine goals might have come through that mechanism. But, yeah, I guess Ben wanted to know what our thoughts on live betting was and, and whether it's something we get involved in, because... It, gee, it can throw up some pretty um, erratic odds at times. Yeah, we've mentioned live betting in in a previous podcast, and mm. I think with live betting, there's. I mean, I don't get too involved in it, but I reckon it could be a great way to have a bet if you can. You know, you can. It's something you can really take advantage of because the bookmakers really exaggerate one way or the other. So West Coast kick a couple of goals early in the last quarter. They hit the front, and there's this expectation that they're going to go on with it and just blow Collingwood away. So you get $4, $5, as our listener mentions, and Josh Kennedy misses that shot at goal. Well, if he, if he kicks that goal, then Collingwood probably goes out to maybe $10. Yeah, who knows? So there are the bookies do fluctuate wildly with their live betting, and if you can take advantage of it, you can come out backing both teams at big odds and and you know come out a, a winner either way. Well, it's interesting you say that. I actually, I don't dabble in live betting, but I was looking at the odds for the Bulldogs and Kilda match earlier that day, and early in the last quarter, you could get $26 for the Bulldogs to win that match, which yeah. uh, is extraordinary. But it was interesting, even at the end of the game when Caleb Daniel was able to put them within three points with two minutes to go, they were still $5.50. 
Now, to anyone watching, they were right in the game. They were completely dominating St Kilda. But obviously there's data sets, there's algorithms in place that say from that position, a team won't win the match. Even though it might feel like they're a chance, the data says they won't. So I think where you can get your advantage in live betting is that you have a feel for the game. You can see the general play, what's happening, what the trend in the game is, whereas the data and the algorithms is really just basing it on previous experience and maybe similar situations in the past to create the odds. So I think in both those games, you could get the sense that Collingwood were playing really well and were well in the game, even though... Most of the time, a West Coast team would just run away with that victory, and that's probably why the odds were set that way. And equally, I thought the Bulldogs were a much better chance than $5.50 and had several opportunities late to to win that match. So as you say, mate, I think there's some really good opportunities if you do want to dabble in that space. Having said that, for me, it would reduce the enjoyment of the contest worrying about that. So (laughs) probably not one for me, but if you do like to have a bet, I think there is some margin to be made there. Yeah, particularly if it's if you're not betting on your team because you can, you can get very emotional with your own team. I just wonder what the live betting was in the Brisbane Richmond game when Richmond were just all over, all over the top of the lines in that second quarter. I think they had eighty percent of the play in their forward half, but they just couldn't put them away. But it just looked like that the dam wall could have broken at that stage. It would have been interesting to see what the live betting was at that stage, and also. I wonder what price Collingwood would have been if that throw had been paid in the last quarter or in the last 30 seconds. I have a feeling they suspend the markets, even though I know you've just done that to have a little bit of a jibe, but I actually think they suspend the markets during those sort of plays because too much can happen. Like one kick either way can completely dictate that they wouldn't want to leverage themselves too heavily. But, mate, what I wanted to give you a bit of a comment on, we talked earlier in the season, I made a little comment that you should jump on Villa at $500 to uh, win the EPL. I now see they've, I think they're undefeated for the season, just beat Liverpool 7-2 and are into 150 to 1. So you've missed the price, mate. Yeah, I know. That's a, should have put a sneaky $10 on. But I can always <laughs> go the Lions Villa double. <laughs> Yeah, no, that'd be good odds. Um, and I did see order was restored with home teams winning seven of the ten this week as well in the EPL. So just thought I'd drop that in there, Big V. If you let me know when it doesn't happen. Ironically, it's your team, Tottenham, that was one of the away teams that won. And Aston Villa was one of the home teams beating Liverpool. You wouldn't have expected Villa to have been one of the home teams to have won on the weekend. Certainly not. And uh, it doesn't seem like Man United have started the season as well as they would have liked either. But uh, Big V, that's all we've got time for on the Shooter Back to Podcast. A little bit longer than usual, but you know we've got a lot to dissect there with the racing in particular and also the footy finals that have come along and there's a lot to talk about. So, look, thank you to all our listeners and, and people that are following us on the at Shooter Back to Twitter handle. As I said, Big V's multi. Big V's double. It's gone back to back to back. So we're a bit of pressure on for this week, Big V, because that'll be a four-peat, something the Brisbane Lions couldn't manage. But I'm sure you'll, uh, I'm sure you'll put your best foot forward. Yeah, pressure's on this weekend. There's um, some good nominations. There's plenty of races to choose from. So, yeah, let's hope we pick the right ones again. Thanks, Big V, and good to chat, mate. And thank you to all our listeners. And as always, good luck on the punt.